Good morning. We are so glad you're at Central Church. We're in this new sermon series called Odd Man In. Those individuals, those groups that have at times felt like outcasts or, or on the fringe or outliers or not always welcome in society or in the church. Well, we were talking about this series. I, you know, my, I, my home group, I use them to bounce my sermon ideas and stuff off of, off of them, and they help me with my sermons when we get together. And so uh, we were talking about this series the last you know, month ago. And I was asking them in the home group, I said, now what are the things, when do you feel left out? When are you an outsider looking in? When do you have those experiences? And, so, and one lady spoke up. I wasn't going to preach on this topic, but she spoke up and she said, you know where I feel the most left out? I said, no, tell me, where do you feel the most left out? Where are you an outsider looking in? Where are you the odd man out? And she said, it's my family. I'm the only one that's a Christian in my family. And whenever I go to family gatherings, I am the odd man out. Hmm. Can you relate to that? Can you put yourself in those shoes? Is your family that way? where you're the oddball, where they look at you and think, what in the world, how can you think that way, behave that way, come to those conclusions? In, in Mark chapter three, we, you would think, okay, if we're gonna use uh, uh, somebody who, who uh, has a perfect family, someone who has the, the, the best family, the Sunday school answer, of course, is, is Jesus, right? Who has the best family? Sunday school answer, Jesus. Well, of course, Joseph, his earthly father, was called a righteous man. Mary was, was highly favored in the Lord. That's what the Bible says about her. Then, of course, there's Jesus in this family. That's, you know, can't get better than that. And bro his brother James wrote one of the books in your New Testament, James. So you got Joseph, Mary, Jesus, James. That's a pretty good start. In Mark chapter 3, it lists all of Jesus' family. Jesus went back to his hometown in Mark 3, started preaching, and the people were kind of pushing him away. He was uh, familiar, and this is what they said about it. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So there's Jesus' family. Uh, probably by this point, Joseph is, is died. They don't mention Joseph. Most Bible scholars think Joseph has died. And so you got Mary, and then there's his brothers, James, Joe Jr., uh, uh, Judas, Simon, and his sisters. You know, no, no one need to bother mentioning them, just his sisters. That's, well, sorry, girls, that's the way it was. So that's his family. The Gospels go on to tell us, though, about his family. And it's not a great story. You would think, again, Mary, Joseph, Jesus, James. In, in Matthew 12, Jesus is at the height of his popularity. People are clamoring to see him. He's, he's you know, uh, he's healing people. He's feeding the, the, the hungry. He's doing all sorts of wonderful things. And this is what happens in Mark 12. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak with him. Someone told him, your, brother, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied to him, who's my mother? Who are my brothers? 
And pointing to his disciples, he said, Here's my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You think, well, Jesus, come on. Your mom's outside. Don't say that. I mean, don't, don't talk that way about your mom. She's just outside. Just go out and say hello. But when we, 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 we look at Mark, Mark tells us why Jesus responded the way Jesus responded. In Mark chapter 3, it says this, Then the, the Jesus entered the house, and again a crowd gathered, so he and his disciples were not even able to eat. That's a big crowd. When his family heard about this, listen to this, they went to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. This is his family. Out of his mind. Ah, were they embarrassed by Jesus? Were they, were they worried about what would happen? Maybe Jesus has his enemies. Is that what's going on here? Did they think maybe he was in, in danger? I don't know. One thing we know, they didn't believe him. I mean, if they believed him, they wouldn't be trying to take charge of him. If they believed him, they wouldn't say he's out of his mind. It gets worse. How can it get worse than that? It does. It does. It gets worse. John chapter 7. After this, the after this is after Jesus fed 5,000 people, Again, height of popularity. He just fed 5,000 people. People are wanting to, they're saying that Jesus should be king, remember? And Jesus didn't want to be king at this point. Height of his popularity. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were looking for a way to kill him. Don't go to Judea. They're going to try to kill you. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near... Jesus' brothers, James, Joe Jr., Judas, Simon, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to... Wait a minute. We just read that he didn't want to go to Judea. Why? Because they're trying to kill him. And now what's Joe Jr. and Judas and Simon and James saying? Hey, Jesus... Why don't you go to Judea? I think that's a good idea. And then they go on to say, so that your disciples may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. In secret. He just fed 5,000 people. How is he acting in secret? When have they ever been around 5,000? When did they feed 5,000? And you know, Bible scholars say it was just 5,000 men. 20,000 people counting women and children. In secret? Are you kidding me? In secret? Since you are doing all these things, show yourself to the world, Mr. Big Shot. Are you kidding me? For even his own brothers did not believe him. Did Mary not tell them about the angels and the shepherds, and the star in the sky, and the wise men, and the gold, and the frankincense, and the myrrh? Did they not, did they not see what Jesus was doing? Did they not see he just fed 5,000 people a free bread and fish lunch? Did they not hear how he raised the, the widow named son? What's going on here? For even his brothers... Hey, Jesus, why don't you go to Judea? I hear it's nice this time of year. How could they not believe? What kind of family does he got? It gets worse. 
How can it get worse? It gets worse. John 19, Jesus dying on the cross. No one's there. His mom, Mary's there. His mom's sister, her name is also Mary. They weren't too crazy about women names in those days. Mary, Mary, both Aunt Mary and mom, whose name is also Mary. Weird, I know, but they're there. James isn't there. Judas, Simon, Joe Jr., none of them around. No mention of any sisters around. So much to the point that in John 19, he looks at his mom, Jesus, while dying on the cross. You've heard this passage, usually in the season of Lent. Woman, here's your son. He's not referring to Judas or Simon or Joe Jr. or James. Here's your son. He's referring to babyface John, John, son of Zebedee. He's the only disciple around. Probably there because he was, at least he looked too young for them to arrest. Here's, here's your son, and to the disciple, here's your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his own home. What in the world? What happened to James? What happened to Judas, Joe Jr., Simon? Isn't it their responsibility to take care of Mary? Jesus has died on the cross, firstborn. It's his responsibility to make sure that his mom, probably a widow, is being taken care of. And no one of his brothers, none of his sisters, no one's around when he needed them. And so he has to turn to John, the son of Zebedee, of all people. Say, hey, will you take care of my mom? <laughs> Look around, man, my family. They've taken off. And from that time on, this disciple... Not Judas, not Simon, not Joe Jr., not James, took her into his own home. Why am I telling you this? If you would think of anybody could have, if anybody could have made their family well, if anybody could have made their family whole, if anybody could have made their family, you know, the model family, wouldn't it have been Jesus for crying out loud? His mother's Mary, highly favored. His dad, for as long as he lived, was considered righteous. If, if Jesus couldn't do it, guess what? Bad news. You can't do it either. God's design for us is to live in family, right? He made human number one, a guy named Adam, and he looked at human number one and said, you know, it's not good for you to be alone. And he made human number two, a lady named Eve. And the plan was that human number one and human number two would make human number three, four, five, six, seven, and on it goes, it goes. Family, in community. That's God's plan, that we would be a family in community. Not like, you know, the, the, the title nuclear family is only about 100 years old. And now the average household in America is 2.63 people. That's the average household, 2.63 people. I don't know where that 0.63 comes from, but you don't know how that works. It's 2.63 people. But in Jesus' day, in the first century, and really up until the 20th century, the family was not just those mom, dad, and 0.63 people living in the house. A family was everybody. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, single, married, didn't matter. You were all part of the household. Social scientists say that household, when it says that he and his household all became Christians, that household could be as many as 100 people. It was a big extended family. Not just you and mom and dad in a picket fence in your own little house. It was an extended family. 
And, and that's God's plan. God's plan is for, for our families to be that way. God's plan is for there to be joy and wonder in our homes where there is understanding and when, when you, you work through things together and you love one another and even when someone's having hardship, you're there for one. That's God's plan. In, in, in Psalm 68, it says this, God sets the lonely in families and he leads out the prisoners with singing. The idea here is that that, that when you're in a family, when you're in this whole perfect family, the way God's design is, it would be, be like when a prisoner gets out of jail. It's like, woohoo, freedom, I love it, everything's great. But we all know, you, me, Jesus, it doesn't always work that way, does it? And sometimes we're the odd man out. Sometimes, ah, oh, our families can drive us crazy. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes uh, they can be so critical or belittling or downright mean. Sometimes we feel like, oh, I have a picture. Does anyone remember this show? Sometimes we feel like Marilyn. Not Marilyn, Anthony. Marilyn, Marilyn, here comes the picture. Mar Marilyn, the Munsters. <laughs> Look at her in her polka dot dress. She's so normal. She's so regular, you know, and that's her family, and she's smiling. That's them. Odd man out. Sometimes we feel like Marilyn, or maybe sometimes we feel like, you know, uh, you know, Herman Munster. I don't know, one of them. But we feel different from the rest. Now, hear me. I'm not talking about toxic, uh, abusive family situations right now. There are toxic, abusive family situations, and if, and, and if that's your situation, then you need to set boundaries. You may even need to remove yourself. That's not what we're talking about right here. And in those situations, if you're in a toxic, abusive family situation, you need to get help. Hear me, you need to get help. If you're not safe in your home, you need to get help. And that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about here, though, is what most of us at times deal with. And that is not those extreme situations, but just when our families are making poor choices or pushing us out or feeling like, like we're the oddball or the, or the different one or whatever because of their lifestyle choices and where they're at. Does that make sense? You know, the old phrase, uh, the old saying, you can, pick your, you can pick your friends, you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your friend's nose. And you can't pick your family either. What you get is what you get. And probably most of us can say, well, some of them in my family, well, even the best of families, what you get is not always great. So what do you do? What do you do when, when your family is so far different from where you're at, where their thoughts are far different from your thoughts, where their uh, perspective is so far different from your perspective? Can I tell you this? Keep being faithful. The Bible says, uh, honor your father and mother. It doesn't say, honor your father and mother if they've been nice to you or if they've been Christian. It simply says, honor your father and mother. Peter, Peter, Peter wrote this to, to the church. He said, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. If 
follow in his steps after he just mentioned a suffering, a Jesus suffering. That might, that means you would wish Peter would have said, said, since Jesus suffered, you don't have to. Since Jesus had a dysfunctional family, you won't have to. No, that's not what he said. He said, since Jesus suffered, you may need to follow in his steps. Follow in his steps, being faithful, even in the midst of dysfunction. Does that make sense? We used to tell our boys before they would leave the house, we, we would say, uh, playing on our last name, we'd say, remember who you are. You're a prince. You need to act like it. And so let me remember who you are in the midst of dysfunction, in the midst of arguing, in the midst of different ideologies, in the midst of different whatever. Remember who you are. You're a child of the king. And in your family, when your family, when you, even when you're feeling like the oddball in your family, the idea is to still maintain, still be the, the Christ-like follower that you are called to be. Paul, when he was uh, uh, writing to a young preacher, the family, it wasn't a, a blood relation necessarily, but it was the, the church squabble. And Paul's writing to Titus, and he says this, in everything set them example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Paul says, set an example. Live before them a holy life. What do you do for your family? Live before them a holy life. Do good. What does that mean? Be compassionate. Help people. Show integrity, be honest, real, upfront, soundness of speech, no crazy talk, no crazy conspiracies, none of that junk. And then let them watch, let them watch your life. Be an open book. How do you respond to your family? Be an open book. Be, be real, be honest, set an example. That's what, that's what Paul is saying. And then when bad times come to some of those members in your family, some of those coworkers that you deal with, when bad times comes, because bad times comes to everybody sooner or later, they will say, wait a minute, that's not how, that's not how my sister, my brother, that's not how my coworker responded to this situation. The point through all of this is be the person of God that he created you to be in all circumstances, in all situations even when we feel like we're the only one. It's, it's keeping up, not quitting, being a person of faith always. Can I show you a picture from last Sunday? This is a picture taken last Sunday. This is not Marilyn Munster. This picture is my sister. And it's coming, it's coming. Anytime, there she is. And with her is Paige, her daughter. I've asked you to pay, pray for Paige in the past. Last Sunday was the first Sunday, first Mother's Day in years that my sister was with her daughter. And I've had you to pray for Paige because Paige has made a lot of poor choices in her life. And I show you that picture to say, Paige probably isn't um, exactly where she needs to be. But this is where Paige is. This is how I view it. Paige is kind of like uh, the prodigal son when he came to his senses and said, 
what in the world am I doing here? I got a mom and a dad that love me. I got a family that loves me. What in the world am I doing here? And he got up, remember the story, and he started walking home, and he was on the way, and while he was, he was walking home, when he came to a census, guess what? Every day his dad was going out to the road, looking, 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 looking for him, waiting, waiting, waiting for him to come home. Well, I think, this is where Paige is. She started the track home. Now, my, my, my sister, you know, in the story, doesn't say she hadn't arrived yet, but she's on her way. And last Sunday was the first Sunday, first Mother's Day in years that they've been together. My sister sent me that picture. I tell you that to say, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep on, keep on praying for my niece, Paige. Keep on praying. Don't give up. And those family, they don't understand you. They think you're nuts. You go to church every Sunday. You kidding me? You, pay, you, you give how much money to church? Are you kidding me? Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep on praying. And in the meantime, know this. You got, look around. You got a family around here as well. Oh, maybe not blood relation, although I've learned you got to be careful at our church because somebody's related to somebody, and so do be careful what you say because we're all related some way. But <laughs> the psalmist says this, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. You know what? We may have, we could have a lousy family don't understand us, don't get it, don't get it, don't get it. Look around, we have a family right here. The Lord's family. God's family. God says that he will receive you. I think the best job in the world is the Amazon delivery guy um, or gal. And not because, I don't know what their pay is, it's probably not because of their pay, and I sure hate driving one of those uh, delivery trucks. I'm sure I'd get in an accident on day one. I practically hit my, this is no joke, I practically ran into my garage on the way out of my garage this morning. So I know, I did. My, my rear view, my, my side mirror just went right along the side of my garage. Don't tell Carla, she's in the second service, we won't tell that then. But it's a great job because they get to put packages. They're like Santa Claus, right? They put packages on your... Maybe the best job is a flower delivery guy because he at least has to ring the bell and you come and sign for it and give you the flowers. Yahoo, flowers. And how God, God is like that. We come home, he receives us, he welcomes us. We are part of his family. When I was growing up at uh, Little Nazarene Church, we just used that language family language for the people in the church. Brother Bond taught me how to do woodworking when I was in the eighth grade. And Sister Buckley, I mowed her lawn. I mowed Sister Buckley's lawn, even though she always called me Freddie. That's my brother. She never did figure out my name, but I still mowed her lawn every week. Thank you, Freddie. You're welcome, Sister Buckley. And Sister Norton, Sister Van Dyne, and Sister Vale were my Sunday school teachers. Brother Norton was also my Sunday school teacher. He was married to Sister Norton, of course. And the lady who taught uh, children's church, that was Aunt Myrtle. I don't know how you became an aunt and why you weren't a brother or sister. I don't know all that. But that's just the way we talked. Brother Kip. 
Brother Kip had, you know, we, everybody wore shorts, suits in those days, the men, and Brother Kip always had candy in his pocket, and we'd just go, it was like Halloween, every Sunday we'd go to Brother Kip's pocket, grab the candy, run away. Didn't have to say trick or treat, just got the candy. It was family. That's why I like pastoring so much. It's family. We're here for one another. Last, yesterday in this very room, we had a service for Marge Kuntz. She, was, she became a member of this church like in 1950, 70, over 70 years ago. And, and you know, she was in, close to 95 years old. And it was a wonderful celebration because she's in heaven now and she was so instrumental in this church. It's family. And in the next service, we're going to have baptisms. And, and if you want, you go to Sunday, here's what you need to do. Two things you can do. You can go to Sunday school class and come back because this service will go to this time and then we've got 11 people. So next service, don't tell the next service, but it's going to be a longer service because we're baptizing 11 people. That's our secret. But you can go to Sunday school, come back and see people getting baptized. Just come on in. That's okay. Or you can do this. <laughs> you got time. If you've had a change of heart, you can go get out of a change of clothes. Actually, we've got a change of clothes if you need one. And if you've never been baptized, you could be baptized in the next service. I'm not kidding. Go home, get a change of clothes, come back. We'll baptize you if you've never been baptized. If you know that Jesus is Lord of your life. Because what is baptism? Baptism is saying, welcome to the family, everybody. My family rejected me. Oh, I know, maybe they did, but we won't. Jesus doesn't. We're part of the family. You know, anymore, there's the gender reveal parties and you can go on YouTube and see all the fails where there's pink balloons, blue balloons, you know, pink smoke, blue smoke, pink cake, blue cake, whatever. And you can go and see all the fails where the pink smoke guy, he rolls over, you know, and smoke goes everywhere. The balloons are supposed to reveal, they fly off and no one knows. I guess they'll, they'll find out eventually. The point is, it's celebrating, right? When a new birth comes, it's, that's what baptism does. It's, it, it, baptism, it, it doesn't matter the amount of water you use, it's the amount of grace. And baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is a sign, an outward sign of an inward grace. Jesus has changed my heart, and now I'm living for him, and now I'm part of the family of God. Jesus has adopted me in, I'm included in, I'm part of the family. Maybe my, my biological family may have rejected me. They don't get me. They don't understand me. But thank God Jesus welcomes me in. He will receive me. It's saying that old song, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. That's what baptism is. Listen, maybe you got a rough family. Jesus would say, welcome to the club. Maybe you say, they don't understand me. Jesus would say, never understood me either. You say, but I'm so glad. Remember that old song? I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. 